We all believe we've run into the burning building. But until we feel that heat, we can never know. You do. You chose to die instead of giving up your colleagues. That test you passed? Not everybody does. Welcome to the afterlife. When a new Christopher Nolan movie comes out, it's an event. As with Paul Thomas Anderson, Martin Scorsese, Ridley Scott, Steven Spielberg and Quentin Tarantino. Contemporary auteurs are few and far between and in the age of Marvel, it's become increasingly rare for a blockbuster to not come from a pre-existing intellectual property. Christopher Nolan has been making movies for over 20 years, beginning with Following in 1998. His early movies, Following, Memento and Insomnia, were all intimate psychological thrillers with creative and original premises. Then Hollywood, as they have done many times before and since, plucked this unique voice from obscurity, tripled his budget and asked him to helm a popular franchise. Nolan's Batman trilogy was well received and reinvented the Batman franchise after Joel Schumacher's dismal effort with Batman and Robin in 1997, making Christopher Nolan a household name in the process. But Nolan also ensured that he made something else in between each Batman movie, with The Prestige in 2006, Between Batman Begins and The Dark Knight, Inception in 2010, Between The Dark Knight and The Dark Knight Rises. This ensured that he was more than just the Batman guy. After The Dark Knight Rises, Nolan was successful enough to never need to helm another franchise again. He was one of the few filmmakers who had cultivated a brand for himself and could sell movie tickets on his name alone. For people of my age group, who saw The Dark Knight in their mid-teens and eagerly anticipated the release of Inception, Nolan was the go-to filmmaker. If friends of mine in high school or university typically male, could name one director. They could name Christopher Nolan. His popularity amongst millennials in the early 2010s, I imagine, was akin to that of Quentin Tarantino amongst Generation X in the mid-90s. Looking back, it actually makes me sad to think that Nolan's peak might have come at the twilight of cinema. I'm not sure there is an equivalent coming through it's all the more reason why we need to celebrate the auteurs we have while they're still here and demand that cinema be more than just disposable content. I went to the Sydney premiere of Tenet in August 2020, eagerly awaiting what was to come. In the context of the pandemic, Tenet was hyped as the movie that would save cinema. The plot details remained mysterious, and there were constant rumours floating around about what this movie could be about. There were even some people who suggested that this would be a secret sequel to Inception, with Robert Pattinson playing the adult version of Dom Cobb's son. Christopher Nolan is, if nothing else, an innovator. He had told a story backwards with Memento, redefined what a superhero could be with the Dark Knight trilogy, kept us constantly guessing in The Prestige, 
and explored the subconscious with Inception. Everything this guy did was original. So, what new things could he bring to cinema with Tenet? Tenet is totally original. You've got a strong and silent protagonist with a wry sidekick, seeking to save the world and a damsel in distress from a scenery-chewing villain with a Russian accent. None of that has ever been done before. Right? Reception towards Tenet was generally positive, and some have even called it a masterpiece. Guys, I don't want to uh, annoy you by geeking out too much, but I just want to start out by saying that the movie is an absolute masterpiece, and it's really an honor to get to talk to you today. So seriously, thank you for your time. Nah, dude, Tenet is freaking awesome, and it has deep nuanced characters, and the physics are actually kind of genius. And is this beautiful, balletic, entrancing, dream logic film, and the action is so spectacular. Tenet has been so, so fun for me. I love playing the game of Tenet. And now the acting is also strong. John David Washington is really good in the film, as is Robert Pattinson. Elizabeth Debicki is also very good in the film. All of the acting all around is very good. Kenneth. Things you have like John David Washington, who is just very Bond-esque in this. He's so charismatic and so cool and... Just, yeah, he's a better Bond than Bond. I'm very sorry, Daniel Craig, but he would be a fantastic Bond. Um, the, the the Michael Caine scene, which is brilliant. Yes. I've, I mean, it's like 45 seconds of this just kind of... Honestly, did we watch the same movie? Tenet is so generic that it's an insult to the audience. The protagonist of the movie, played by John David Washington, is called... The Protagonist. Kenneth Branagh's villain is called Andre Sator or something, but they may as well have just called him bad guy. Oh, but you just didn't get it, cry the Nolan fanboys. But what is there to get? This is two and a half hours of cardboard characters with that tawdry save the world storyline sold to us with the gimmick of time inversion. Nolan has said that this movie needs to be rewatched multiple times, but... To me, that's indulgent. I've gotten a lot out of re-watching movies such as Mulholland Drive and There Will Be Blood, but a movie has to at least give you something the first time around for you to justify the time investment of seeing it a second time. I did re-watch Tenet seeing as I happened to already have a binge subscription and I decided to do this review. I also happened to re-watch Mission Impossible 2, and I know which one I prefer. Mission Impossible 2 is also generic, let's save the world movie, but at least it doesn't have the pretension that it's about reinventing cinema. It's a fun movie that doesn't take itself too seriously. Nolan could have learnt a lesson or two there. Since Inception, it's clear that Nolan is a fan of Bond, and he's been touted as a future Bond director. With Tenet, critics have said that this is Nolan's version of a Bond movie. Well, if that's the case... I don't ever want to see him go near Bond. It's a useful exercise. Take out a pen and write down what comes to mind when you think of James Bond. He's charming, a womanizer, fun-loving, debonair, a gambler, from a high-class background and his favourite drink is a martini, shaken, not stirred. He has a classical education, is a former Navy officer, yet he's also anti-authority and frequently clashes with his superiors at MI6. He's physically fit, 
industrious and can think on his feet. He's also cold-blooded, ruthless, and has a masculine bravado that hides deep pain and regret. Now, I want you to complete the exact same exercise for the protagonist in Tenet. He's a man, and he's on a mission. Oh, but you see, he's dark and mysterious, and that provides an edge to the movie. Fuck off. If we're going to buy this absurd concept about time inversion, then at least give us an engaging protagonist and an intriguing world. What is the protagonist's motivation? To save the world? Sure. But he's entirely one-dimensional, compared to James Bond or Mission Impossible's Ethan Hunt. These characters are self-interested, and that adds to both the character and the story. For the sake of simplicity, let's look at one Bond movie and one Mission Impossible movie. In Mission Impossible 3, after a cold opening where we meet the antagonist Owen Davian, played by Philip Seymour Hoffman, we are taken back several months to Ethan Hunt hosting an engagement party with his new fiancée, Julia, played by Michelle Monaghan. Here we see a domesticated Ethan Hunt that we are unaccustomed to. The party is interrupted by a mysterious phone call, which causes Ethan to make an excuse to duck out. Then there's this mysterious meeting between Ethan and Musgrave, played by Billy Crudup, who we learn is his new boss. We also learn that Ethan has retired from active duty and is now training agents. Musgrave informs Ethan that one of his former students, Agent Farris, has gone missing on a mission and Ethan is temporarily lured back into active fieldwork on what he thinks will be a relatively simple one-off mission to rescue his protege. In Skyfall, the movie begins James Bond style, smack bang in the middle of a mission. Bond is chasing an antagonist along a moving train in Istanbul, while Moneypenny is observing from a distance with a sniper. Moneypenny has the antagonist in range, but there is a risk that Bond could be hit. M, overseeing the operation from London, insists that Moneypenny take a shot, so she does, but hits Bond by mistake. The movie's theme song by Adele plays, and flash forward, Bond is enjoying retirement abroad as he is presumed to be dead after the gunshot. Only after a terrorist attack in London does Bond choose to come back to MI6 and reveal that he is still alive. With Bond and Hunt, there are varying levels of self-interest, which is important in their character and motivations. They're not just playing bland action men motivated to do their duty. Both are jaded and understand that there's more to life than risking your life for your government. In Hunt's case, he is motivated to get back into field duty by compassion for his colleague. In Bond's case, he wants to save MI6, but there's also a narcissistic element, as being an agent is the only way to fill the emotional void inside of him. So, what is the protagonist's motivation? Tenet starts promisingly enough with a thrilling scene inside an opera house in Kiev. The protagonist is apprehended and he is given a choice between giving up the details of the operation 
or consuming a suicide pill. He promptly takes the suicide pill only to wake up and it is revealed that this was a test of his loyalty and he is recruited to a mysterious organisation called Tenet. He then goes down a rabbit hole to end up learning that he has to save the world. Compared to Bond and Hunt, there is an earnestness about the protagonist which makes him a bland and dutiful character. He's motivated to do his job and that means saving the world. But we don't really know anything about Tenet and what the aims of the organisation are. If there's any emotional hook to the movie, it's Elizabeth Debicki's cat. Not her real-life feline. Her, her character is called Cat. Cat is a battered wife to Kenneth Branagh's antagonist. The protagonist meets her and wounds up being drawn by a desire to save her. But this doesn't really extend beyond basic altruism. There's a worrying trend in movies, which I noticed in the Star Wars sequel trilogy, of platonic relationships between male and female leads. Had the protagonist fallen in love with Cat, it would have been predictable, but it at least would have given him some personal motivation. Hell, you could even have the mission compromised by the protagonist's attraction to Cat. Maybe he could have to make a choice between saving her or completing his mission. Sure, that wouldn't have been wholly original, but it would have at least humanised him and made him fallible. Instead, saving the girl and saving the world are inextricably linked, and there's no choice he has to make. When she is saved, there's no catharsis. She goes on with her life and the protagonist, presumably, continues working for Tenet. Oh, and it should be mentioned that it turns out the antagonist, Andre Sartor, is dying of cancer and he wants to end the world because if he can't live, no one else can. I've heard of villains being motivated by communism, fascism, capitalism, but never solipsism. So I guess the movie gets half a point there for originality. When I went into Tenet, I had never heard of John David Washington, and I was sceptical of his capacity to carry a blockbuster. He's not great, or even really good. But I don't really have a problem with any of the casting. I just think the actors weren't given much to work with. I don't think an alternate casting would have improved things, except with Kenneth Branagh. I don't know why you have Kenneth Branagh doing a hammy Russian accent, in a world where you have actors known for playing Russian villains like Raid Serbegia, uh, the scientist from Mission Impossible 2, and Carol Roden. Really, you could have cast robots for all the detail Nolan puts into his characters. Oh, but you see, all of this is to set up a character development which, which will occur in the sequels. Get fucked. I'm not forking out another 15 bucks to see character development that wasn't there in the original. In the sequel, we'll, we'll get to learn the protagonist's true identity. I don't want a sequel to a movie where I care nothing for the protagonist. Yeah, but no one went to this movie for the characters. It's all about the time inversion, man. Therein lies the film's central problem. A movie about time inversion needs a lot of audience buy-in. I'll happily suspend my disbelief, but I need something beyond this gimmick, some character at the heart of the movie. I thought Nolan knew this. 
Memento uses a non-linear narrative to tell an intriguing revenge drama centred on a guy suffering from amnesia and explore themes of deception, betrayal and self-justification. Inception uses the concept of dreams to explore deep questions of the subconscious. Tenet uses time inversion and it looks cool when cars drive in reverse and bullets go back into their guns. It's often said that the failure of the Star Wars prequels came because George Lucas was perceived to be infallible. With the original trilogy, Lucas was a no-name director working within the confines of a studio system. Flash forward 20 years and Lucas was a big-name director and Star Wars was the hottest property in the world. Lucas was the writer, director, financer and executive producer of the prequel trilogy. There were no limitations, no one would dare to challenge him, and the movies suffered. This is relevant because checks and balances are important. While I don't know if that's precisely the case with Nolan and Tenet, I think that sustained success can lead a director to become too big for feedback and beyond scrutiny. As Orson Welles said, the absence of limitations is the enemy of art. When directors start out, they are understandably given limited trust by studios and limited resources. They have to make do with what they have, which forces them to be creative. It also makes movies a more collaborative endeavour. While there are the Woody Allens and Quentin Tarantinos of the world, not every great director is also a great writer. In the case of Nolan, I'm not sure if writing is his forte, and that's fine. Stanley Kubrick and Steven Spielberg are also not known for their writing. Nolan has had a co-writer on most of his movies, often his brother Jonathan, but with Dunkirk and Tennant, he was the sole writer, and I think those were his weakest scripts. Having a good writer is important for a director like Nolan, whose movies are quite high concept and therefore need strong plot and character in order to bring us with him. There's also a concern I have that when a director gets entrusted with a franchise, they are never quite the same afterwards. I rate Batman Begins and The Dark Knight, while The Dark Knight Rises less so. Personally, my favourite Nolan movies are Memento and The Prestige. Although Inception and Interstellar are good, albeit flawed movies, I feel like something got lost after Nolan achieved megastardom. Since Insomnia, Nolan's movies have all been PG-13, and it's hard to see him doing another gritty and intimate performance-driven thriller like Insomnia. I had the concern, ever since I saw The Dark Knight in theatres, that Nolan's movies were becoming more special effects driven and less about character. I think that Nolan straddled the line with Inception and Interstellar, but already a pattern was emerging that Nolan was more concerned with spectacle than substance. The way I see it, there are two ways to deal with a high concept premise like time inversion. The first is that you don't take it too seriously and have characters make light of it. The Marvel movies have been successful at employing this approach. No offense, but I don't play well with others. Big man in a suit of armor. Take that away, what are you? A uh, genius, billionaire, playboy, philanthropist. <laughs> Second way is to back yourself, to build a world that's immersive and the characters take seriously. The original Star Wars movies use this approach and Christopher Nolan attempts this way. 
The difference is that the original Star Wars first hooked us in by telling a universal story of a restless young man yearning for adventure, and by the time it introduced the concept of the Force, we were along for the ride. Tenet ignores the crucial component in movie making. By the time we meet the protagonist, he is already super competent and well trained. There's nothing relatable about him, and he has no human wants or desires. We're thrust into this espionage world with no common vantage point, and then we learn about the concept of time bending. How could this be improved? Well, one way would be to dial back the protagonist's competence to make him more relatable. Instead of being this superhuman, all-conquering agent, make him a young agent just starting out. Maybe he could initially miss out on recruitment by the FBI or CIA, only to receive a call from this mysterious agency called Tenet. This would humanise him and make us empathise with his challenges. He's not this slick professional with it all figured out yet. He's a rookie at a stage that everyone experiences in their life, and this would be a useful anchor for the mysterious world to unfold. Another option would be to keep the protagonist super talented, but have an everyman supporting character for the audience to identify with. This could have been Robert Pattinson's Neil. Instead, Neil is also super competent, and other than knowing that his first name is Neil and that he has a master's degree in physics, he's no less mysterious than the protagonist. Nolan instead relies on exposition-heavy dialogue to get us up to speed with what's going on. But we're not watching the proceedings of a theoretical physics conference, we're watching a movie. You have Clements Posey's character show up give a monologue about the logistics of time inversion with the caveat of don't try to understand it, and then she's never seen again. What was the point of her character? To promote women in STEM? You have Michael Caine give his usual perfunctory performance in a Christopher Nolan movie, explaining something about the mission to the protagonist. Then there's the protagonist and Neil having a series of high-concept conversations about the mission on bus trips, seemingly not caring about the clandestine nature of their mission. Everything is so drab and serious. There's little room for personality or character, which is not what you want for a movie that requires such suspension of disbelief. Imagine if Back to the Future had Doc Brown give a 10-minute monologue about the physics of time travel while Marty McFly dutifully nods, never showing a hint of personality. No, we accept that in the world in which Back to the Future takes place, all it takes to go back in time is a DeLorean loaded with plutonium going 88 miles per hour. What follows is an entertaining coming-of-age story. I'm not saying that Tenet needs to have some Chris Pratt-esque comic relief character, but it could afford to not take itself so seriously. Instead, what we've got is the preposterous premise of clock stoppers with the drab seriousness of Spy Game. I actually like movies that explore time, but it has to add something to the story. In the case of Back to the Future, Marty inadvertently interferes with the space-time continuum and risks compromising his own existence. The time travel theme is used to drive a bizarre plot which requires Marty to set his parents up. Conversely, Terry Gilliam's 12 Monkeys is about stopping a terrorist attack that has already happened, 
and time travel is used to explore the theme of causality. I don't see any reason for the time inversion concept, other than an excuse for some sick visuals and a mild wow factor where a climatic car chase is looped. There's no exploration of free will or causality. There's a brief moment where Neil and the protagonist discuss the grandfather paradox only for Neil to conveniently dismiss it in order to paper over any potential plot holes. Nolan is usually a master of mystery, as shown with The Prestige and Inception, but Tenet is too boring to leave any lingering questions. As Mark Commode said about Tenet, I have many, many questions, but the questions are mainly what and how, as opposed to the wider question of what does it mean. All of this speaks to a director having the pretension to want to reinvent cinema, but instead failing to tell a basic story. Some might say that there's nothing wrong with Tenet, and I'm just unfairly holding it to Nolan's own lofty standards. But this would be a god-awful movie no matter who the director was. It fails on almost every level when it comes to storytelling. The characters are one-dimensional. We have a limited emotional connection to all of them, with the notable exception of Cat. The plot, without the time inversion gimmick, is stale, and the overall delivery of the movie is utterly charmless. In fact, I'm convinced that the only thing saving this movie from a negative rating on IMDb or Rotten Tomatoes is the collective delusion about Christopher Nolan's genius. It's a shame, really, because as I said before, we live in a world where auteurs are all too rare and studios unwilling to greenlight big-budget movies not based on pre-existing intellectual properties. I wanted to like Tenet. I wanted to get inside Christopher Nolan's mind and see how he sees the world. But if Tennant is any reflection on that, then Nolan is no deeper than Michael Bay. I believe that Christopher Nolan is a good filmmaker, and I'm convinced that he does want to tell good stories. But what we got was a shallow ego trip from a usually great director. Yeah. <laughs>